a reader reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he also came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, was a, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas. This woman was excelling in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually. But it happened at that time that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging, saying, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter got ready and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the room upstairs, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments the Turkish used to make them while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa many days with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray as we go into the Word. Father, we come here to, to learn from your Word, to be taught your Word, to learn your ways, to be the community of people filled with the Holy Spirit unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we come here now and submit to you. Amen. Let me open up real quick. So we are continuing through the book of Acts. One chapter or part chapter at a time, uh, had a brief conversation with John Gray and he seemed like he wanted to do chapter 10 and I thought about skipping these couple, uh, the small section but decided that we don't do that. So, we're <laughs> so I took this section uh, and let John do chapter 10 next week and so as we're going through the book of Acts, uh, reminding everybody if you keep your fingers in Acts 9 and go back to chapter 1 that we're summarizing all of the book of Acts in verse one, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so by the end of the book of Acts, they got to all of the pretty much known world Paul had uh, when he gets in his first imprisonment in Rome. But we are still continuing that mission today to be witnesses of Jesus Christ 
with power, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we will get to um, miracles and healings towards the latter half. I want to cover that today. But um, one thing that is easy to, to miss or to gloss over, it, we broke away from Paul last week when, when Saul, uh, Paul's uh, Hebrew name, when he gets converted and, and gets arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and gets converted. And we're going to see Paul back in the story here in a little bit. But mostly we're following Peter. And so in the, as Teresa read out of the NASB, uh, I think it says, past Peter was traveling through all those regions. And the King James says, passed throughout all quarters. And so the ESV simply is a little bit more nebulous and says, as Peter was here and there among them all. He was just here, he was just there, he went this place. And, and in the ESV, it kinda, you kind of get a feeling that, at least I do when I read it, that, that it was just kind of like, Peter went here and he went there and he went to see how they were doing and, and he wasn't really directed. But that's really not the case. And so what Peter is doing is he is setting up Christian communities. And so most likely... Um, here in, in Lydda and, and Sharon, uh, Philip might have been there. He, it's not directly said that he went through there, but you know, as you remember, Philip started preaching through the persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem and went through the towns of Samaria and eventually got to Caesarea. And, and I think Peter eventually gets there. Um, but so most likely, Philip had preached in some of these cities, but at the very least, the dispersion from the Jews, from the new Christians by the Jews in, in Jerusalem were getting dispersed into these cities. And Peter wasn't just going to say, Peter wasn't just happy about it. Like, oh, now we got Christians over there, and then they'll be fine. And it says directly that the apostles are staying in Jerusalem. Well, yes, the apostles are staying in Jerusalem, but Peter's traveling to all the other cities too. And so the, Jew, the church in Jerusalem was the headquarters for all of Christendom, for the next, uh, which will be for the next about uh, eight years after after Peter here is traveling, until until they start getting dispersed and, and Antioch will come become the headquarters for most of the Christian churches throughout the throughout Judea and, and Samaria. And so, what Peter's doing is he's following up with everybody and he's visiting them very systematically to set up Christian communities. He's not just going to uh, visit and he's like, you know, it's, it's a good time to travel, so we're just going to go visit them and see how they're doing. And, and he is di- very directly setting up Christian communities. We know that from his epistles. We know that from all the other epistles in the New Testament documents. Peter even uh, most notably refers to Paul's scriptures, Paul's writings as the scriptures. And everything that the apostles and disciples are doing are centered around Christian community. If, if we have to reference Acts 1-8 every week, then we're also going to reference uh, Matthew 16-18, where Jesus says, talk, talking to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so Jesus is building his church. He's building his church through the apostles, through disciples, through Christian communities. And the very next sentence he's saying is, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom, right? Through the church, not just through Peter, but through the church, 
He is giving, Christ is giving the keys to the kingdom to give people admittance or, or deny them the keys to enter into the kingdom. And that's always through the church. That's why when we get together next week and we're going to have three baptisms, and that is essentially your membership in the church. You can't be a member unless you're publicly identified with Christ in the waters of baptism. You, you can't be a covenant member without entering into the covenant. You can't, I can't be married to my wife if I just said, we're married. I can't just declare marriage and it works. It doesn't work that way. There are, there are covenants, there are oaths, there are vows, there's promises, there's witnesses. That all plays into that. And so what Peter's doing is, is we don't know exactly what he said to everyone uh, and how he was doing it, but surely he was setting up church government, he was setting up um, um, ordinances, he was helping them get started, setting up leadership, giving them insight, teaching, because he's not going to be there the whole time. And so as Peter's visiting this, he's taking on the same anointing, the same apostolic ministry that we see a little bit more clearly in Paul, just because he has more New Testament writings, is that he's setting up the, the churches, the governments, the way of life, how communities are supposed to operate, and, and the such. And so <clears throat> that's the major mission of Jesus through the, through the apostles and through the disciples, and even for us today, is to set up the New Covenant Church. And so in that, the reason, one of the reasons why Peter's traveling to all these cities and, and you will uh, see a little bit more of what he's doing. But uh, because when Christians get dispersed, they clearly had some zeal. They were willing to get persecuted. They were willing to flee the city. They were willing to flee their livelihood for the name of Christ. If you kind of think about this chapter and what these Christians had went through, at least the ones that had been persecuted and were dispersed from Jerusalem, a lot of them were selling their properties a lot of them were giving all that they had. And those were real, real troubles that they had. And they had to get up and move rather quickly because of the, the persecution. And so these Christians had a lot of zeal. You didn't have to probably tell them to read their Bibles or gather on their Lord's Day. or They had probably a lot going on. But Peter's not just traveling around and saying, well, you guys got a lot going on. I think you guys can handle it and, and see you later. Uh, you know? Call me every once in a while. No, he's, he's setting up, the, the first thing you do in Christian communities is you set up government, you set up ordinances, you teach on way of life. And so um, even though Peter is going around and he's you know, mostly teaching and he's doing healings and all these other things, he knows he's not going to stay there. He has to leave something knowing that he's not going to be there the whole time. And so Peter's by no means some lone ranger uh, or... Um, as, the, as some churches would like to see Peter as more of a, a dictator, head guy, he's going to do everything. But, but even when Peter is referencing Paul's, uh, Paul's writings in the epistle, especially to the Ephesians, when we reference Ephesians 4.11, that there's the, what's commonly called the fivefold ministry, the prophets, prophets, shepherds, teachers, evangelists, what we often forget is that it. Paul is quoting scripture and saying, these are how Christ gives you gifts. These are gifts to you. Here's your gift, a pastor. Here's your gift, an evangelist. Not someone to go out and do the work for you, but here's someone to teach you how to evangelize. Here's a prophetic person who's going to call you to repentance. Here's your gift. 
And what do we like to do? Well, that's not the one I was... Jesus, I wasn't... That's not what I was looking for. That's not really what I wanted. It's like we get this in our, in our mind and in our spirits that Jesus is essentially a bad gift giver because he gave us uh, apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, and evangelists. People want us to go out and evangelize? Oh, man, that's... It's terrible. But these are the gifts that Christ gave us. These is, this is what he says, in a, and Paul says in Ephesians, is to give us to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if, I, if we understand Peter rightly, that's what he was doing, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Peter was going around setting up the Christian communities because they're going to do the work. They're the ones that are here in, in Lydda and Sharon and, um, and, and Joppa. And so he knows he's not going to stay there. He has to set up Christian communities that are self-sufficient. They oftentimes did report back to the church in Jerusalem and then in, in Antioch to keep accountable. We have um, a, a loose Presbyterian model. I shouldn't say loose. I should say Presbyterians take this model of, of, of region-wide pastors to see over churches, and, and that could be good uh, in some senses. And, but really, the churches are self-sustainable, should be self-sustainable. They should have their own pastors, elders, teachers, prophets, evangelists. They should have their own people within the community to equip the saints, to teach, to shepherd, to protect. And so that's one comes in very notable in, in Paul's second epistle is, you know, he's writing to all these churches in the dispersion, and he says, this is how you prepare for false teachers. This is how you prepare for hard times. This is how you prepare for persecution. And here you go, because he knows he's not going to be there. And so, you know, when we're seeking to build a Christian community, we have to understand that there are growing pains, that there are uh, often friction and problems. And so some of those problems are good. We're going to have a lot of little kids running around here soon in the next year or two. Those are going to be a lot of noise. Those are good problems. When you can't, uh, when you can't hear the scripture reading because all the kids are running downstairs for the kids' ministry, that's a lot better problem to have than no kids running downstairs. And so those are good problems. Uh, it's good problems, I heard this morning, that we're running out of room in the 830 prayer room. We need more seats. That's a good problem, right? Those are, those are good problems to have. There's good problems where, you know, where we have too many people to serve, or too many, not too many people to serve. That is a good problem. Um, that was the first problem in, in Acts 6 where there was too many people to serve and not enough servants. But it's also a, it's a good problem when we have too many people volunteering. Too many people want to bring a really nice hot, warm, homemade side dish to the church picnic next week. And we're going to have all this extra food, and what are we going to do with it? We're going to have... Someone's going to eat it. Who's going to be that man? You're going to have to invite people. You're going to have to invite your friends. Those are good problems to have. And so we have, we're going to have growing pains in any Christian community. And so those are, are good problems and are, are blessings, but they're... Um, are, are problems nonetheless. And so it's always easier, like these Christians in Lydda, where they had already gone through persecution, you know they have some sort of zeal. Um, you've got Philip, who's um, you know, running around evangelizing to people and converting cities and casting out demons and healing the sick. 
And what are we going to do? Philip's just like running away with evangelism and people, whole cities are coming to the gospel and the Holy Spirit's just picking them up and saying, you're not even going fast enough and taking them to the next city. And what do we do? We run around. Those are good problems to have, right? Those are, it's always from a leadership standpoint, it's a lot easier to put out small fires in the living room and get them into the fireplace than to have a, a stack of wood and no matches. That is, people with zeal, people that have some wind behind them, behind their sails, it's a lot easier to get them steered in the right direction than it is to sit on a boat and, and, and try to blow some wind into the sails. I'd rather take one ship that's moving in a circle with some wind than 10 ships parked in the dock. It's a lot easier. And that's what Peter is facing. And though, so everyone should seek to create good problems, right? Everyone should seek to create uh, the problems for leadership that say, oh, this guy wants to go out and share the gospel. Well, he's, he's, uh, he just needs a little refining on his words, but at least he's going out, right? Uh, we've got 30 people who want to cut the grass this week, but only, we only need two. Uh, we got, you know, all these people who want to serve in the kids' ministry or do whatever, but we, don't, we just don't have enough kids, or so seek to you, we, we want to be a community where there's good problems, and so oftentimes there's friction in community where we have loud kids because all kids are loud amen, amen. <laughs> and and so we often uh, create friction in community through these good problems uh, that we have to kind of manage and so but there are bad problems, and so going back to some of those. If you look in Paul's book to the first to Corinthians in this first book, there were good problems like too many of you guys are prophesying and too many of you are speaking in tongues and, and not too many, but you're doing it all out of order. And all Paul had to do was instruct them, you guys can all prophesy one by one, just create an orderly line, and when your time is up, you prophesy. Okay? Instead of everybody yelling at once, Right? Paul's going in and setting order to a people who already have some zeal. They've got some wind behind their sails, and they just need the function of, hey, this is how you do it. Just keep doing it, but, but get yourself a little bit more refined. Get in line. Don't just yell at your prophecies. That's rude to the other people. They can't hear you, and that's not instructive because God's given you a word of prophecy, and they can't hear it because you're yelling it, and they're yelling it, and we can't hear both what the Lord's saying if you're both yelling at the same time. So you yell first, and then you yell second. Right, But also, the 1 Corinthians is a great book of bad problems. You've got friction in, in members uh, in chapter 5 where they have to cast a member out for his, his lewd behavior. And so there are, there are bad problems in, in communities. There's unnecessary offenses between members. Um, you can go through any of the New Testament epistles where Peter, Paul, uh, James... You know, any of the New Testament epistles, there are, there's friction, there's problems between members. James points it out of, well, don't, don't have a bunch of selfish gain in you and give the people who are, are tithing the most and have the most amount of money, and don't give them the, the seats of honor just because they got a lot of money, right? Don't be swayed just because they, they give more money, and don't treat the poor, don't make them sit in back because they smell bad or, or because they're not tithing as much. Right? Don't have this unnecessary friction between members. Everyone's equal. Everyone's, you know, everyone's a part of the body. And so there are bad problems that arrive. 
And so, but what we're doing and what we should, our mind, to have the mind of Christ in Christian community is to expect problems. If, uh, if you've ever volunteered in the kids' ministry and you've gotten the blessing of like one, a parent with one kid dropping off their one kid, and it goes great until there's a second kid, <laughs> until there's community, and then it's mine, mine, no, this is mine, no, it's not, stop touching me. And then it's constant fighting and managing, fighting and quarrels and, and uh, managing their problems for the rest of the time. And so... Uh, that's what happens in community. That's what happens when you get two people together. Everyone, um, the way we do community with single brothers and sisters households is, and I'll testify, on a lot of levels, it's a lot easier to live with four guys than it is to live with one woman. And that's not because that one woman is troublesome by any means. It's, <laughs> it's because it's a different form of communication. It's a different lifestyle. It's a different mindset. I could... Uh, I could live with four guys and, and say all sorts of unkind things that I don't think that are that kind, unkind, and, and they'll be fine, but a woman wouldn't be fine because you're not talking to them the same way. And, and so most people realize that in, in the first year or two of marriage is that there are ways in community that cause friction, and you have to walk them out. You have to figure them out. When there's friction between members in the church, when there's friction between members in your community, we're called to resolve it. And, and if you have the mindset that there's good problems where, hey, we're both trying to do something productive, we're both trying to do something, you know, according to the Lord, that's a good problem. That's, we're just having a little bit of friction deciding on which way to go or how to do it. Or, or maybe, you know, uh, most of the time in, in, with friction between members, it's, you're speaking with a little bit too much truth and not enough grace, or you're trying to be, I think that's too much grace and not enough truth. And so there's problems. You should expect problems in community. It's a good problem when, you know, um, I could, you know, do a survey of just our community and about a third of us are coming out of some sort of serious addiction. Hey, praise the Lord. That's a good problem, right? We're going to have, uh, and then the other 70 to 75% of us are coming out of religious addiction. And that's a little bit more nefarious, most of, most of us. And so we're going to have, there's going to be a lot of friction. And what Peter's doing is setting up these Christian communities to operate in such a way that they hold the keys to the kingdom. He's setting up governments. He's setting up uh, ordinances. He's setting up ways of life for them that have zeal to just be molded and to just go this way, right? It's a lot easier to have a fire in a fireplace, right? You need the zeal, you need the fire, but you need to put it in the fireplace. And so those things arise. And so that's what Peter's doing. That's what uh, we get in verse 32. Peter's going here and there. He's going through all the regions. <clears throat> and so, um, so let's get into miracles. And so Peter's going on to heal Aeneas. Uh, he raises Dorcas from the dead. And so, so far in the, just in the book of Acts, we see that Peter, Philip, Stephen, um, I'm blanking on the guy who healed Paul's blindness. Anybody? Ananias, thank you. Ananias, and, and even here in a little bit, Paul. 
uh, are, are performing miracles and healings. And so as we look at the book of Acts, and if we look at it through the lens of, of Peter, the apostles, setting up Christian communities, it's very clear, even though the book of Acts spans about like 30 or 40 years, that miracles, healings, deliverances are regular occurrences. <clears throat> and so they are just continuing Jesus' ministry. And uh, the, the apostles went as, as you know, sent out, Jesus sends out the 12 and then the 70 others to, to heal in cities variously throughout his three-year itinerant ministry. And so Jesus' focal point of ministry was teaching, and then the other parts of his ministry were simply deliverance and healings and miracles. And so I just want to make a few comments on miracles and uh, have us to be a little bit balanced. <clears throat> and unfortunately, I didn't make an outline for anybody, but it might be good to write these down. So very clearly, Paul, I'm sorry, very clearly, Peter is traveling. He's, I think he's taking the mindset of Christ to set up these Christian communities, and God is blessing them uh, with healings. As Philip goes into the towns of Samaria, um, is very clearly part of his ministry to do deliverances, healings, baptize people, teach them, convert them. And so miracles are first and foremost from God. Uh, in verse 34, here in Acts 9, it says, Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. Pe okay. Miracles are from God. Jesus healed him, right? Good. All right. So what we get into the problem of, we can't conjure up miracles or healings if God doesn't want us to. If God's not in it, we can't do it. And so we often don't, we often take a side where we know about the faith preachers out there that says, if you just have faith, you'll be healed. And we know about the far side that says, you can even avoid sickness. And if you've got a cold, it's because you don't have enough faith, right? We've all heard of the, the faith healers, the, the faith preachers out there. But you can't faith anything into existence, Right? Uh, what about when Jesus says, your faith has made you well? That should be, if you've read through the scriptures like once or the New Testament, you should, that should be like your first question. What about when Jesus says, your faith has made you well? Didn't Jesus say it's your faith? And so you just have to have faith. And if you're sick, have faith and you'll get better. Well, well, there's no inherent power. Jesus doesn't say that there's inherent power in faith in the way that that is necessarily healing, right? He says, when he says your faith has made you well, uh, we know, especially from, from Ephesians, um, that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And Romans says that your faith is, is not your own, it's a gift from God that leads you towards repentance. And so your faith isn't your faith. You can't you are called to believe there is a mandate by Christ and throughout the epistles that you are to believe. You are to have faith. There is some way in some form that you can have faith. And it's a gift from God. Right? And so your faith doesn't have inherent power. But in some sense, as God gives you faith, he will perform miracles. There will be healings. Um, I've been part of a church that saw a, a heart condition from a baby that just went away. That wasn't supposed to go away. We've seen people healed of asthma here overnight. Um, I remember little Benjamin when he got healed. Those are all things that were outside of, 
of what any doctor expected, any norm of regularity, and that's because it's from God. We, didn't, we can't say that we have faith, and so we're a better church because we saw these things, and, and we did it because we produced our faith, and, and we'll do it some more. Right? That's not how it works. Uh, they're always from God, and so miracles are a gift from God. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Right? So everything we get, <clears throat> everything we have is from God. We can't conjure up anything. Right? We can't just say a few magic words and dunk them in the water and expect healing or expect miracles. Or That's not how it works. Our faith isn't in our faith. Our faith is in God. And so oftentimes we don't fall uh, face forward into the faith movement, but sometimes we get tripped up on it and we, and we brace it. And so sometimes that looks like, well, uh, we just need to pray more or we just need to believe more or we just need to, we really want to see these miracles and healings. And we do, we pray for them, we seek them, we trust in God, but oftentimes we get tripped up and we, we rest our faith on our power of prayer and our power of faith and on our own selves. And so we ought to seek miracles. We ought to, ought to seek healings. We ought to see deliverances and, <clears throat> and powerful things. Jesus promises it in, in Acts 1. But we have to be reminded that it's not our faith that produces it necessarily. It's God grants us faith. He's pleased to, to heal. And so the working of miracles and healings are part of the charismatic gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, right? And so how do you get away from that? Well, well, Stephen, uh, you said gifts, these gifts are from God, but then 1 Corinthians 12 says that we have them, and so we should use them, right? Yeah, they're gifts. If I give you a gift, you have to use it. And so I look at the charismatic gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 where working of miracles and healings are part of that, of I think everyone's an equal opportunity, God's giving everybody an equal opportunity gift. Meaning that when, when you're born, it's not really stamped on your forehead uh, that you're going to be a, a Christian and you know what gift you're going to have out of those charismatic gifts. I think you should seek them all. I think you should um, ask God for them all and see what he does. It's a gift, right? You can't decide which gift you have. You can't tell God, well, I want this one. I don't want that one. I want this one. I don't like that one. This one looks cooler. Right? We can't do that. God gives them, but we have to utilize them. So gifts are to be used. And so wisdom is part of one of those gifts. And so, quite frankly, if God gives you wisdom, but you don't use it, and you don't walk it out, you had the wisdom, but you didn't use it. What use is it? It's not used for anything, right? God is giving us those gifts, especially the charismatic gifts, to be used. And so, <clears throat> so use them. And so, um, next one, miracles are a proof for people to believe. Hebrews 2, 2 through 4. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. 
And so I must have deleted it from my notes. Let's go to the end of chapter, end of the book of John. I think it's chapter 20. John, um, I really like this when the authors just give us like, here's the point of the book. Here's what you're supposed to do with it. If you read this whole book and got to chapter 20 and you didn't read it in that way, then John says, go back and read it again because I'm going to tell you what the purpose of this book is. John 20, chapter 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so in this sense, miracles are for a sign for believers that they would believe. If you remember um, in 1 Kings 17, when Elijah goes and, and, and raises the widow's son, she has a lot of doubts about who Elijah is, that he is a man of God and really preaching the word. And it's not until after her son dies and is raised back to life, she says uh, with exclamation, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is, is in your mouth is truth. And so sign, there are signs, there are wonders, there are miracles and healings as a sign for believers. But that's not, that doesn't mean everyone's going to believe, does it? No, of course not. And so... God does give us gifts and miracles and signs to strengthen our faith, to build us up as a community, um, and to just testify about his word. But miracles do not mean that people will believe. It doesn't mean that if there is a miracle or there's a healing or there's a deliverance that people are going to believe, right? Jesus himself is our greatest example that he did many miracles and signs and wonders and he rose Lazarus from the dead and the Pharisees said, well, we got to kill Jesus because he keeps doing this. And now we got to kill Lazarus because he's going to, him being alive, he was dead and now he's alive. And that's going to spark a lot of conversation. And they're going to testify and Jesus is saying he's the Christ and he's the Messiah. And so let's kill him. And he keeps walking on water and he keeps doing miracles and healing people. And that's not quite according to our ministry. So let's just get rid of him. Let's kill him. And so they don't, miracles don't mean that you will believe or that people will believe. And so don't forget that Jesus himself says <clears throat> twice and once in Matthew 12 and, and once in Matthew 16 that an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But he said no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. And so oftentimes the lawyers, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, we saw all these signs, but here, do this instead. Give us another one. Do it like a parlor trick. We're asking you to do it. If you do this, then you'll prove that you're the Christ. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, these people are just about ready to believe, and I got them on the cusp, and I'll just turn a little bit more water into wine, and they'll believe, and then they'll be Christians, and then we got them, and then they'll just be good Christians all the days of their life. No, that's not, Jesus didn't have that assumption. He had done many signs before. He had healed many. He had, uh, you know, when he was casting the demons out of the, the man or the men into the pigs. These, this is in the countryside. This is way out there. This is after he got off the boat. And so a lot of the signs he did were a little bit hidden just for specific people um, or only revealed for specific people. 
But the Pharisees knew, they saw the signs, they knew about them, and they didn't believe. They didn't have any interest in coming to Christ and worshiping him or believing. And so, so we have to be careful not to be the evil and adulterous generation that says, well, we'll really, like, if the Lord would just do this for me, or if he would heal me here, or if he would do this, then I'll really, like, give my life over to Christ, and I'll, I'll, I'll do more. Right? We often bargain with God in those ways. And so one of those things, one of the things about miracles is when Peter's going around and preaching in these cities, I guarantee you more Christians besides Tabitha had died. But, but God didn't decide through Peter to, to raise anybody else in this city besides Tabitha. There was probably more people in the city in, um, in Lydda that were lame or had afflictions and had need, needed physical healing. But God didn't heal them all. It's not because he's not able to. He could, but blessed is he, right? Uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so where we get tripped up is in where we're, I'm saying sometimes we trip and we rest our, our faith in, in what's commonly known as like the faith movement is we think that God's not working in us because there's no miracles or because there's no healings or, um, or if God does this, then we'll, we'll really give, give more. And so, but it's God who decides. It's, it's him, right? We, we have indicatives that we are to be filled with the Spirit, Right? So we should ought to be filled with the Spirit. We ought to be filled with power on high. We ought to seek miracles. We ought to seek healings. We ought to seek deliverances. We ought to seek very powerful things from God. But our faith doesn't rest on our faith. Our faith rests on God. It's Him that decides. And so there's going to be people in our community who get healed. And then there's going to be people who don't get healed. And what is God doing? He's lifting up our faith either way. I have to have faith in God for the healing, and I have to have faith in God when I don't get healed. My faith has to rest on him either way. And think about what, when we're talking about building Christian community, think about what problems that would cause in a Christian community where Dorcas is, is healed, and it says she did many mighty good works, and, and then, you know, there's... Uh, someone else in the community who had a child that died. How do you think that's, do you think that's going to cause friction? Do you think that's going to maybe cause some enmity or some strife? Like, I'm really happy for Torcas that you're alive. I really am, but I'm still very sad that this other, you know, someone had, had died. And so uh, it might be very easy after Dorcas got healed, like, hey, you made a lot of garments. Do you mind making me a sweater? Winter's coming. Uh, <laughs> right? Third, Thorcas is like, well, I just, I just got raised from the dead. I'm a little hungry. I'm like, well, we got orders. Uh, we got orders coming in. And so even within that, there's, there's friction in Christian community. We could have that when we see signs and wonders. It doesn't mean we're always going to be happy, go lucky Christians, right? It's going to cause friction. And the point is that our faith has to rest in God. Our faith has to rejoice in God. Whether he gives it or whether he takes it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what we're doing as a, as a building community. You cannot do that 
outside of Christ. You can't build a community or a way of life or anything, a group of people that can actually operate together in love, in unity, rejoicing with everybody as they rejoice, mourning with everybody as they mourn without the mind of Christ. Without whether you give it to us or whether you take it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? You can't build Christian community without that. It's never going to happen uh, unless we have that mindset. And the world doesn't have that. The world doesn't have uh, anything to rest on besides their own selfish and conceited desires. That's the only way the world builds community, whether it profits them or not. Right? I talked a few weeks ago about um, church membership and you know what church membership is not is just a group of people that are like-minded together around one thing, and that is true in a certain sense, but that's not all it is. Right? In, most, uh, in just about every instance, in the world where there's groups of communities, uh, there's you, um, uh, whether it's a, a workforce, whether it's in business, whether it's a school, whatever, where there's little groups of people, everyone's there because it benefits them. And if it stops benefiting them, they're gone. Right? It makes sense out in the world. It makes sense to be there. Uh, it makes sense to pull my kid out of school if it doesn't benefit her. She's not learning anything. Why am I sending her there? It makes sense in the world. But it doesn't make sense. That's not how we operate in the church. We're called to all be benefits. We're called to all rejoice together. We're called to benefit one another, put each other as, consider them as higher than one another. We're not called to think about uh, our own selfish desires all the time. And so as we come to the table, as we come to communion, we have to have the mind of Christ that says we're building Christian community together. There is going to be some times in our lives where the Lord gives, right? Everyone should be filled with the Spirit, seek power from on high. I think we should seek miracles. We should pray for them. We should cast out demons. We should pray for the sick. Seek it all. Do it all. Get some zeal behind your, your sail. Get some wind behind your sail and start praying for God to do powerful things. I think he'll do it. But blessed be the name of the Lord, whether he does it or not that we're building community together to honor the Lord, to praise his name. His name gets lifted high either way. And so when we come to the table, we don't think in the same way that just by eating this, we receive the, uh, the, the benefits. Just by eating a piece of stale cracker that is kind of flat and, and wine that's been sitting out here for two hours uh, or for some grape juice, we don't think that just in that, we get the benefit. That's a faith in the elements. Our faith is when we come to dine at the table, we are dining with Christ, and we're eating together. We do that as a community. That's why it's usually John Gray, and it's very easy if uh, you're not used to... Uh, we're kind of like a mid... Some things we do a little bit higher level liturgy, and um, if you went to an Eastern Orthodox or a Catholic church, you would get a little bit higher liturgy, and meaning that when we take the elements, you know, John Gray usually stands up here and we know when to eat because he eats, right? We all eat it together. And then you have to hold your kid's hand and say, no, we're not eating yet. Let's just wait, right? Because we all do it together. We're all blessing the name of the Lord. We're all partaking in Christ together. That's what the Lord has ordained us to do as, as Christians, is to build Christian community, build unity with one another. 
Rejoice with those when we see deliverances and miracles and healings. Rejoice with them when they rejoice, right? Don't be a grumpy Gus. Don't be, well, I really wish I could have that. Well, maybe you could. Maybe we should pray for it. Maybe we should, maybe you should be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and then, you know, mourning with those who mourn. Those are going to be lost. Those are going to be, you know, times when it's very easy to look at other people's, how they've grown in Christ, how the Lord has benefited them, how they've, he's given them faith or wisdom or whatever. And it's very easy to get inwardly turned and say, I wish I had that. And, and then think about our brothers and sisters in a negative sense. And so we come here to dine at the table together as a fellowship, as a, as a community. And we're not coming to the elements in a mystical way to just, this will keep me clean for one more week and I'll come back. Right? We come to dine with Christ. We are encountering Christ when we eat these elements. And so let's have the communion servers come forward and, and dine with Christ. <clears throat>